You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, I want to go ahead and jump in today because I'm really excited um, to be continuing our sermon series here among wolves. We're talking about going from uh, you know, passive participants to active disciple makers here at Fan Life. And we're going to be continuing in Matthew chapter four. But before we dive in, I actually have, uh, I kind of want to share a little bit about uh, what we, by the way, roll one second. I'm going to go ahead and turn the timer on because I will keep you here all day. Uh, go ahead and share a little bit about what came to mind when I was preparing this week. I don't know about you, but man, when I was in high school, I had like a mad diverse group of friends, right? Like ethnically, academically, uh, all that stuff, right? And so one of the funnest parts really after high school was getting to see where everybody went because as a part of, you know, that diversity, there were people that went anywhere from like working to your local big box store to like the most prestigious universities in the country. But the most kind of unique and fun to take notice of were the ones that went into the military, Okay, because there were some that, yeah, they went into the military and it was like, oh, yeah, I could have expected that. Like, they were mad disciplined, parents in the military, X, Y, and Z. And then there were some that went into the military and you were like, what? I was not expecting that. And the coolest thing uh, about the ones that you weren't expecting, the what group, was that when they came out, it was crazy because they were like completely different people. Right? They went from like shaggy hair to crew cut, from, from sloppy shoes to shiny boots. It was amazing. And, and when I got to finally interact with them... Uh, I finally started realizing a little bit why when I started getting to know them once they, they came back. Specifically, one of the friends I talked to, and I'm sure that everyone has different reasons, but one of the friends I talked to specifically said, man, I joined the military because, because I needed purpose. I, I lacked purpose. He needed someone to bring in uh, that, that direction, that sense of structure and purpose that he felt like he was lacking. But what he didn't know was that as a result, what he was doing wasn't just getting a job, nor was he just finding a purpose. He was joining a mission. He was joining a mission because purpose and mission are inseparable. They, they, they're joined at the hip. If you have a purpose, it's because you have a mission. If you don't have a mission, you'll lose your purpose. So he didn't know at the time, but when he was enlisting, he was joining in a mission. But the thing was, when he enlisted in the military, he wasn't who he needed to be in order to accomplish the mission that he was going on. Right? He, who he was wasn't equipped for that. And so to get him in shape, they sent him to what? Troy, what is it? Boot camp, baby. They sent him to boot camp. And at boot camp, he went through all the tests, all the struggles. He hurt. He was in pain. But all of a sudden, he started becoming and shaping and being shaped into, right, this different person. The purpose of boot camp, with all of its pain and all of its struggle, was to take him from a civilian to a soldier. It was to take him from a place where he was ill-equipped to a place where he was ready for a war zone. And what he ended up telling me, this specific friend, is, is after time, it was really, really poignant to learn that this wasn't just like meaningless pain, but rather this was an act of love. It would have been cruel to send a civilian into a battle zone and expect them to, to fare well at all, but, but to prepare someone and know, hey, I, I want you to be prepared for what's coming uh, was kind of almost an act of grace. Likewise, man, similar to that, I should say, our text today is... Uh, is going to show us a unique perspective, okay? It's going to show us that a redemptive and loving God, and I want to make sure you hear that, a redemptive and loving God uses pain, temptation, suffering to cultivate beautiful and powerful things in us. I want you to hear that again, that a, a redemptive and loving God 
redemptive and loving God uses things like pain, temptation, suffering to cultivate beautiful and powerful things in our lives. Now, before we move on, though, I do need to give an asterisk, okay? I need to put a little asterisk by that statement because what I'm not saying is that there's anything in the world that can really divorce pain from our experience, right? This isn't a message of how, how to avoid pain and suffering. That's not what it is, okay? There's a very real brokenness in the world, and as a result, we experience pain and suffering. That's the reality. There's no emotional, meditative, mental state that can divorce us. There are unhealthy ways to deal with pain, but there's not a healthy way uh, to, to separate pain from our experience. Rather, my desire is that we would be equipped with tools that help us see the purpose of pain, the purpose of temptation, and that we would not be deceived by the enemy into believing that the presence of pain means the absence of God. Okay, that the presence of pain means the absence of God. Rather, that we would be like Christ in believing that there is a beautiful, powerful God who is using our pain, using our temptation, again, to build something powerful in our lives. Uh, hey, today's sermon is entitled Entering the Mission. Okay, Entering the Mission. Uh, similar to the soldier, we are entering the mission. Family life is entering the mission. Refuge is entering the mission. Uh, and when we enter the mission, God is calling us to be refined uh, and what I really desire today is, is that in that, in that refinement, that, that we would actually find a sort of comfort, that we would find a sort of comfort in knowing that, again, our pain, our pain, our temptation, our suffering is actually used by God. And hear this, it's used by God to prepare us for a mission that's going to use our scars and our smiles. It's going to use our scars and our smiles to bring healing and joy to others as we find rest in Christ and what he's done. Okay, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11. We're going to be working through Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Um, as we work through the text, I want us to tackle a little bit differently, though, okay? Because what, what we're, we're not going to spend the most time on is here are the practical ways we can fight temptation. It'll be present a little bit, okay? We're going to talk about that some. But what I want us to focus most on is look at what God is doing in the middle of this temptation, Look at what God is doing in Jesus' life uh, to, to kind of bring about these powerful and beautiful things. And I want us to focus on three specific things. And the three specific things are this. One, that God is revealing our sonship. Okay? That in the middle of pain and temptation, God is revealing our sonship. The next is that God is planting roots. That in the middle of pain and temptation, God is planting roots. And the third is that God is making us new. In the middle of pain and temptation, God is making us new. Now, let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to be in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I'm going to be reading from the CSB version today. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start at verse 1, and we'll say a short prayer afterwards. Verse 1 starts like this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you were the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I ask that you would be present with us during this time, whether it is with me here recording or whether it is uh, with anyone watching, wherever they are. Let your spirit work in our hearts to bring about the fruit of righteousness, to bring about your character, and to bring about a deep dependence and reliance on your love and work in the gospel. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, hey, before we jump in, uh, I want to put a little bit of context because I think we needed to work through this text. Okay, last week, uh, Pastor Shad, come on, man, we're calling Pastor Shad now? That's what's up. Uh, Pastor Shad broke down Jesus' baptism, okay, where Jesus is baptized, the heavens open, a dove descends, and a heavenly voice comes out of nowhere, thundering, saying, that's my son. It's intense, right? That's crazy. And the thing is, I don't know if you've gone to a baptism lately, but I ain't gone to no baptisms where that happened. That's wild. But from here, it doesn't get less crazy. It gets more crazy. Because from here, Matthew says that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness and that the devil approaches him. The devil Okay, now I know what you're thinking, that this seems a little far-fetched, but, but that's why we need to build some context. Okay, because there's some realities that I want to invite us into that, that this text presumes upon, and that Christians believe almost worldwide, but, but that sometimes all of us, especially in, in our kind of Western society, can struggle to remember it, mainly that there is a spiritual world. That there is a world, a spiritual world, that we can't see with our physical eyes, but has a very real impact on our physical life. And right now, here's the thing. You might be thinking about like demons and ghost stories and stuff like that. And yeah, that, that is a part of the spiritual world. But, but the thing is, that's rare. That's rare. The, the spiritual world, the world that Jesus is inviting us into is so much bigger than that. Okay, in fact, I would go so far to say that the most dangerous interactions you have with the spiritual world Jesus is inviting us into is less doors closing on their own and and frames flying across the room and is more that subtle whisper in our ear to open our computer to a pornographic website. It's it's more so the subtle desire for us to cheat on our taxes. It's the subtle desire for us to build and the value of our life on our cars, our success, our relationships, uh, X, Y, and Z, right? There's a very real spiritual world, and we have a very real spiritual enemy whose tactics are very much so meant to destroy you. And if you're only looking out for flying books and stuff like that, then he has you right where he wants you, fam. He has you right where he wants you. And let me say this, if that freaks you out, good, good. Listen, it should freak you out. It should freak you out to the point that you go running into the arms of God. Because it's in the arms of God that we begin to see that we have nothing to be afraid of. Not because the enemy is so small, but rather because our God is so big. Think about Genesis 50, 20, that says, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good. It's in the arms of God that we recognize how immensely sovereign, powerful, beautiful God is. And understand that he even uses things like pain, suffering, temptation, then in order to continue the work uh, that he's doing in our lives. So when we understand this correctly, pain and temptation are no longer a sign of God's disapproval or his anger, but rather they're a continuation of the good work that a good father is doing in your life. To, to say it with the... With, with the hope that you remember a little bit better, an incorrect view of pain causes us to rethink how we see God, but a correct view of God causes us to rethink how we see pain. 
in the hands of, of a good father, it can be used to refine, to do something beautiful and to do something powerful. In our text, I say all that because in our text, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Spirit leads Jesus into the very place where he's going to be tempted by the enemy. And he fasts and he waits and he's hungry. And in the midst of his need, there's not like bread from heaven coming down. In fact, in the midst of his need, he gets tempted. Right? Like like oftentimes the enemy sees us when we're vulnerable and tempts us. Yet in this temptation... And in all of these moments of need that we experience, we're able to see if we can really pay attention and we know how to interpret it, okay, that these beautiful things that happen in Jesus' life oftentimes happen in these exact specific situations, specifically the three things we mentioned earlier. The first of which, as we dive in, is that God reveals our sonship. In this text, through these temptations, through this moment of suffering, God reveals sonship. Okay, let's draw our memory. Last week, again, in the baptism, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Big thundering voice. Jesus is confirmed by God from heaven, okay, to be God's son. But look how Satan tempts Jesus right after that. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 5. Satan asks him, if you are the son of God. If you're the son of God. Here's the thing. Jesus knows he's the son. Jesus knows he's the son of God. Like, I would be hard-pressed to think that... Jesus would have been dissuaded that he's the son of God when a thundering voice came down and was like, that's my guy, right? Like, like, that wasn't the case. Most commentators agree, okay? Most commentators agree that this wasn't meant to tempt Jesus on whether he was the son of God or not, but rather to question what it meant to be the son of God. What did it mean to be the son of God? Okay, take a look at the temptations of Jesus here. Okay, take a look at him. Uh, they all kind of focus in on one specific thing. You have uh, Matthew 4, 3 that really focuses on the temptation of provision where God, where, where the enemy is like, hey, turn these stones into bread. In Matthew 4, 5, there's this temptation of presumption uh, where, where he's trying to get him to test God's affection and love. In, in 8, 9, there is this temptation for power and glory. This is almost like immediacy when we take a look at it in a minute. Right, where, where he's testing him to, to see if he can entice him with the riches of the world. Each one really has a similar tone. All right, if we think about it, provision, the temptation of provision calls into question whether Jesus, the son, can trust the father as a good provider, okay, or whether he should fulfill his own desires outside of God's will. Okay, now find common ground with Jesus here. I, I want us to take a second here because we could look at this provision piece and be like, oh, well, not me, but, but man, we all go through this, right? God has given all of us desires, healthy, good, godly desires, all of us want food. All of us have desires for things like relationships, even sex or success, work, X, Y, and Z. And the thing is, in and of themselves, those aren't bad things. They're good things. But the temptation of the enemy is to call into question, to make us doubt that God the Father is providing not just what we want, but rather what we need. Okay? Satan's trick here is to tempt God's children into satisfying godly desires in ungodly ways. That's that temptation of provision. Okay, think about the temptation of presumption. When the enemy asks Jesus to throw himself off of uh, the building, okay? What he's measuring there is not just trying to, hey man, get to, why don't you show out a little bit? It's what, it, it, he's trying to measure whether Jesus trusts the promises of God, the love of God, or if he doesn't, okay? And on the surface, that may not seem like a big deal. It's like, yeah, man, like all of us kind of almost have that feeling of like, show me you love me. Uh, but but the, the darkness of the intention is really, unraveled it's really shown and seen when we see jesus response 
Jesus' response, when he responds, you will not test the Lord your God, is from Deuteronomy 6, where the people of God, Israel at the time, are in the wilderness. And when they're in the wilderness, they say, man, we don't have water. And they grumble to God about not having water. Despite the fact that God then delivered them from slavery, he sent bread from the sky, all right? Like, like all this crazy stuff. And they're like, we don't have water. In fact, if we don't get water, we might just go ahead and go back to our old ways, right? There was this type of, of manipulative deception trying to, to contort God to say, do this for me or else. That's the darkness that, that, that uh, the enemy is trying to tempt Jesus into. Uh, I love the way Leon Morris says this. Leon Morris is a uh, Bible commentator and theologian, and he says it like this. It's a temptation to manipulate God, to create a situation not of God's choosing in which God would be required to act as Jesus dictated. Jesus rejects the suggestion with decision. He prefers the way of quiet trust in the Heavenly Father, a trust that needs no test and a ready acceptance of his will. He refuses to demand a miracle even if the perspective of some even if from the perspective of someone on the earth that might seem desirable, even compelling. Okay, this type of deception, maybe we don't see it in our own heart acting so deep and dark, but but man, we do do things like call God's love into question when things don't go the way we think they should go. Right? We, we do oftentimes demand that God act in a way that makes us feel like it makes sense to us, that really affirms or confirms his love. We do, despite the fact that we may not see it as this dark, deceptive thing, and we do try to put God to the test. We, we often can fall into the trap of presumption here. In power and glory, right, there is this idea that that Jesus is, is almost like need, trying to fulfill needs immediately rather than waiting on, again, God's good provision. Uh, I love the way Pastor David Platt, he's a pastor and theologian, uh, talks about this in his commentary on Matthew. Uh, he says, you may be wondering why this would be such a great temptation if Jesus already knew these kingdoms would be his. Jesus also knows that the road ahead leading to such authority is filled with sorrow and suffering and ultimately a violent death. He was tempted to try and seize God's reward right then, apart from the path of pain. You're a son, the devil said, so why be a servant? You're a king, so why be crucified? Take them now, they're yours. That's precisely what Satan whispers in our ears today. He points to all the things of this world, the success, the accomplishments, the pleasures, and the possessions, and he says, get them now. Each one of these temptations each one of them is an attempt to distort our understanding of what it means to be God's son or daughter, to call into question whether he's going to actually provide, whether we can trust him, whether he's a good father. And for many of us, hear me, for many of us, we don't walk around going, am I saved or not? Like, like I would say that's a minority within the people that are actually watching this video. But we do, walking around, we do walk around questioning how God could love us. We do walk around with such deep, senses of shame and guilt about how we lived yesterday and what we did this morning that it prevents us from sharing the hope we have in Christ with someone else. We do question why he put us in the positions that we're in. The immediate intention of Satan's traps are often not to rob you of eternal life in the future. Then sometimes their intention is to rob you of eternal joy right now. And when he robs you of eternal joy right now, 
It's a great way to stifle the church. One of the best ways the enemy can stifle the mission of the church is to simply stifle your trust in God. Simply stifle my trust in God. Because at that point, what hope do I really have to offer anybody else if I'm not living in the hope that I have in him today? But one of the most important things to remember here in case that the, the enemy really only attacks what's valuable. And I love you. You are valuable, but I'm not talking about you this time. What I mean is he only distorts what's true. So if he calls into question God's provision, that means God is an excellent provider. If he calls into question God's love for me, then that means that he actually has a love that has no end. If he calls into question whether the promises of God are as good as the promises of goods we have here, then that means the promises of God in the future that I have for eternity go beyond anything that I could get here. You see what I'm saying? It's through and in the midst of temptation that God uses these tricks of Satan in order to reveal what sonship actually means. That that we are his, that he is a provider, that he loves without conditions, that he uh, is promising us better in the future that we could ever get in our own, on our own right now. When we are entering into temptation, we have the opportunity to be enlightened to what it means to actually be God's. See, see, that's what happens. I think about it like this. Think about it like this. We can read about it or go to a conference. All right, you've heard, you're, hearing, you're kind of hearing me talking about it right now, to be honest. Um, you can read books about it. You can go to conferences. But it's not until you actually get your foot put to the fire. It's not until you have to live as a son or a daughter of God that you actually know what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. I take my daughter for an example. Right now, she has a bit of a funny habit of being like, I'm daughter. So it could be like, Leah, you're beautiful. And she'd be like, no, I'm daughter. And that's cute and funny. And she can say that. But it's not until the middle of the night when she wakes up scared and she runs to the door and she starts banging on the door. And she says, Dada, Mama. And she has a deep certainty that she's ours. That's when she knows that she's our daughter. In the midst of temptation, God is revealing our sonship, revealing that we're his. But how do we grow in being a son or daughter of God? And this is, we're going to kind of go into rapid succession here, okay? Because it's kind of like a building block, and we're going to move forward pretty quick here. It takes roots. In order for us to grow in understanding what it means, how to live out life as a son or daughter of God, it takes planting roots. And that's the other thing that God does in the midst of temptation and pain and suffering is that he plants roots. Okay, I, I want you to take a look for this point at, at each of the responses that Jesus gives. I want you to see that Jesus is never spitting off of the dome here. He always has something that's backing up his statements. Okay, take a look at verse four. He says, it is written. Verse seven, it is written. Verse eight, it is written. Okay, when Jesus was confronted, all right, with temptation, he refutes it with scripture. He refused it with scripture. Okay, let's say it like this. When Jesus was confronted with temptation, scripture were no longer words on a page. They were a sword in the hand. When Jesus was confronted with scripture, scripture was, when, when he was confronted with temptation, I mean, scripture is no longer words on a page. They were a sword in the hand. Okay, they were no longer writings that taught us the best way to live our lives or like gave us a bit of encouragement that day. They were the means by which he was waging spiritual war for the sake of his soul and for the sake of the souls that he was going to save. Man, in our own lives, it's easy for scripture, okay, to turn into something of a routine. Uh, something that, that turns into where we gain encouragement and where we gain 
insight on how to live. And those things are all true. Scripture is encouraging. It should be encouraging. Uh, Scripture does give us wisdom on how to live our life. But more than that, man, Scripture, when we engage the Bible, the Word of God, those words are meant to be life-giving words that root down into our heart and begin to affirm us of the truths of who God is and who we are before God. In order for us to walk out, to live out what it means to be God's son, to be God's daughter, we have to be rooted in the truth of what his word says we are, of who his word says he is. Take a look at Jesus. Jesus is a great example. He's what we're talking about, right? For Jesus, the same faith it took for him to look the enemy in the face and go, get out of here. It's the exact same faith it took for him to look at this basket of like two fish and some bread, you know, and lift it up to heaven and say, you're a provider. You will provide. The same faith that led him to overcome temptation was the same faith that led him uh, to really walk out what it meant to be God's son for the sake of others. Right? The, The same exact faith that was present when he looked at the enemy's temptation and said, hey, you know what? Um, I don't need your your kingdoms right now because I got a promise of redemption and restoration coming from my father. Was the same faith that was present when he was walking up Golgotha, when he was walking up to Golgotha to take the cross in our place. It's the same faith, right? When we are actually having the truths of God rooted in our heart, okay, It actually enables us. It empowers us. It shows us what it means to live out life as a son, as a daughter. Okay, when we're confronted with temptation, when we enter the mission of God, okay, when we enter the mission of God, we have to grow roots. We have to grow roots that deep, that dig deep down and drive us to dependence on the mission leader, on Jesus. Okay, that's what the roots are for. The roots. Uh, when we go to scripture, when, when that when that when that scripture ties down deep into our heart, right? When when, when the psalm, when it happens like the psalmist says, and we hide scripture in our heart, so that we don't sin against God. But what we're doing is we're sowing a reliance on Christ, and that's what the mission's about. Because remember, entering the mission is the title of the sermon. Okay, entering the mission. If we don't have roots that extend toward worshiping and depending on Jesus. The mission is a failure. You feel me? The mission is a failure. If what we're inviting others into is something that's dependent on ourselves, our own effort, our own wisdom, our church, our our pastors, anything else, it's a failure. Because what we're inviting people into in our mission is not to rely on us, is not to rely on themselves, is not to rely on our pastors, is to rely on their Savior. It's to rely on Jesus. Those roots that we have to dig in order to enter into the mission of God have to be roots that dig down and know, man, I'm his, he's mine, he saved me. Their dependence, their reliance. That's what these roots are about. That's what this mission is about. And and here's the thing. If we have this idea of that within the context of temptation, first God starts out with, with revealing our sonship. And then from there, he helps us grow roots and live out what it means to be a son, the result becomes that as living out life as a son or as a daughter kind of kind of climaxes in the sense of dependence on Jesus. 
right? That's kind of the top layer. And there's a very unique and special reason that we can trust and depend on Jesus. And that's really what guides us into our final point. Okay, the reason that we can trust and depend on Jesus is because God is making us new. In the middle of temptation, one of the biggest and most beautiful things that God reveals is that he has has made us new and is making us new. Okay, so let's go ahead and and dig into this last point before we, we dip out here. Up until this point, what we've really been doing is we've been taking Jesus' temptation, and we've been taking our temptation, and we've been going, look how similar they are. Right? Here's what Jesus was tempted with. Here's what we've been tempted with. Here's how God works in Jesus' life. Here's how God is also working in our life. And those things are true. But what makes this specific text the most beautiful is not how the temptations and the suffering is similar, but rather it's how the temptation and the suffering is different. Okay, When we navigate, when we think about our own lives, and we think about our own confrontation with temptation, we remember that we're working from a victory that's already been won for us. When we read Jesus' temptation here, we're looking at a victory that is being won in the moment. How are you getting there? What are you talking about? I want us to look at the verses that Jesus quotes when he's refuting the enemy. And my man Troy is putting up a a visual for you right now. Um, In each one of them, they come from a specific section of the Bible, uh, specifically Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. And this entire portion of scripture is actually, is actually related to a time when the Israelites were in the wilderness. And, and this is crazy, man, because if you really take the story of Israel, you line it up on one side. And you take the story of Jesus in Matthew 4 and you line it up on the other. It's eerie and it's meant to be. right? The, the Israelites are led out of slavery into the wilderness by a cloud and like a fire tornado. Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Okay, the Israelites spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Jesus spends 40 days and nights fasting. Okay, the Israelites are tempted in the area of provision, thinking through how could they doubt God sending bread? They're tempted in the area of questioning God's love for them. Does he actually care about us? They're, 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 they're tempted to question God's promises for the future, the promised land that he said he was taking them to. Likewise, Jesus is questioned and tempted in the area of provision, in the area um, of presumption, his love, God's love for him, the area uh, of promise and power in the moment. Yet when Israel fails each and every time, Jesus succeeds. Where Israel fails each and every time, Jesus succeeds. What's happening here is more than just Jesus proving himself. He's doing what we could never do. You see, if you've been navigating this text with us today, and you're like, you know what, um, this is this is encouraging, this is good, but I also feel a little guilty because I don't, I don't respond well to temptations all the time. The beautiful part of this scripture is that Jesus has. When Israel failed, and redemption and the covenant and the beauty of God's promises slipped from their hand, Jesus stepped in and did what they couldn't do. Likewise, what Jesus is doing in overcoming temptation here is doing it for each and every one of us who have failed to do it. 
He's taking on the temptations of the enemy and proving his holiness, his perfection, his beauty in a way that none of us ever could. And the beauty of that is that when he then takes the cross as the sinless lamb of God, he takes the cross as a rebel who has rebelled, who has doubted, who has called God into question, who has made uh, an ungodly path to, to achieve godly desires, who has sought after getting the, the, the glamours, the achievements, the assets of this world outside of God's will. He takes one who is a rebel so that the ones who have rebelled and failed time and time again could now be welcomed as children of God. When you, friend, when you are working through temptations, the thing is that you're doing, when you're confronted with temptation, it's not so that you can flex your own muscles and build your own spiritual abilities. There is some discipline involved there, but the main idea that happens when we are confronted with temptation is that we're given the opportunity to run back to the one who's won the victory for us, cling to him, and grab on, knowing that, you know, what you have done for me is enough. Your victory is the victory that I stand in. Man, where I have darkness, you are bringing light. Where I have hopelessness, you are bringing hope. Where I have joy you are bringing joy because you have done what I could not done, what I could not do. The beauty of this specific text, the beauty of even encountering temptation is that it sends us back to the one who has already made us new. The reason I have a fighting chance against temptation is not because I'm super disciplined. It's because Jesus has won the victory over temptation for me. And when I've come to him, when I've, when I've given my life to him, and he gives me his spirit. That's the only thing that's working in my life in that moment when I'm resisting things like lust, greed, anger, impatience, hopelessness, doubt. That's the only thing. The only thing that's keeping me in it. When we look temptation in the face and it sends us running back to our Savior, the beautiful thing is that it reminds us that we've been made new, that Jesus is reigning, that he has the victory. And now I am found in him. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what this whole thing is about. This mission, again, is not about, it's not about drawing people to ourselves. It's not about building family life. It's not about building refuge. It's about glorifying Jesus. It's about bringing people to a place where they look at God and go, that's what I need. And Jesus has won it for me. But the best way the enemy can deter you from doing that very thing is when he can rob you of the trust, of the assurance, of the reliance you have in your heavenly Father. So as we close up here, what does this really look like? Okay, Because, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, when you're confronted with temptation in the coming weeks, years, your whole life, uh, I, I pray that you would take the practicals of this, right? Take the scriptures, fight with the word of God, take on um, really what's, what's happening there and, and, and build those uh, roots that we talked about a little bit earlier. But here's something else that I want you to do. Here's something else. I don't know what you guys have planned for small group or discipleship this week, um, but I have a little project for you, okay? Uh, and I'm your guest, so you got to appease me, so you got to do it. <laughs> this week, what I want you to do is, is I want you to take out a pen and paper, or your laptop or your phone or whatever it is that you write with, okay? 
What I want you to do is take an hour or two just to, to get away from the noise. Just to get away from the noise. Okay? Get away from all the distractions. Not that they're a distraction, but if you got kids, have your spouse look after them, take turns, and get a couple hours to yourself. And I want you to write down your story. I want you to write down your story. I want you to write down your story, and sure, I want you to include all the beautiful things, all the beautiful moments that are special to you. But I want you to take special attention to write down the moments that were actually hard, moments where you were tempted, moments where you failed in temptation, moments that were painful, moments where you suffered. And what I want you to do is reach into this tool bag that we've built today. And I want you to lay it out in front of those, those moments. And I want you to look and I want you to, to, to check out, God, in these moments, how are you actually revealing? How are you actually revealing to me that I'm your son? How are you actually revealing to me that I'm your daughter? God, in what ways, in what, in what ways am I called to use scripture to fight against the, the lack of truth that's in these lies? The doubt that, that these lies are sowing, how am I supposed to use scripture? How can I use scripture in order to fight these lies and to create these roots? God, in what ways are you actually reminding me, right, that, that, that you've made me know that you already won the victory? In what ways are you showing me your victory? And after that, what I want you to do is, I just want you to go to the Lord in gratitude. I want you to go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to say thank you. Because the reality is none of those moments were pointless. None of them were meaningless. God was in the midst of each and every one of them. More than just being present with you and crying with you, he was the powerful, glorious God that in the midst of it, when we could not see, was working them out for our good, to bring about and reveal sonship, to create roots, and to remind us that we have been made new, to show us the victory that we have in the victory that is Christ. And allowing that to propel us into our mission of inviting others to find rest, hope, and joy in that same truth. Uh, let's go ahead and pray before we jump into a, uh, I think a last song. Uh, but man, love you guys. Thank you again. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are the one who leads us into these moments, unbeknownst to us, even unbeknownst to those who desire ill against us. But in those moments, you create beautiful, powerful things through how you show yourself and show the true nature of how you see us through these moments. God, allow our heart to be grateful to you, in love with you. Allow us to navigate these moments wisely, clinging to you, and developing deep reliance and trust in you as we move forward to invite others into that same trust. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 